When we first thought of starting The Lost Chill, we knew we needed to find an easy-to-use platform to get our podcast out to you. When we found Anchor, we knew it was exactly what we had been looking for. Not only does it make recording and editing a breeze, but my favorite part is that Anchor distributes your podcast for you to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more, which saves us so much time. And my favorite part? The fact that Anchor is completely free. It keeps getting better too. Not only do you not need to pay at all for a full one-stop podcast creating platform, but you can also get paid from your podcast with no minimum amount of listeners. It's so simple. Create and edit your podcast directly on your phone using the free app, or you can also use your computer or tablet as well. There's no expensive equipment necessary to get your podcast off the ground. We truly believe you will love Anchor as much as we do. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your own podcast today. You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. Your hosts, Katie and Kimmy, are here with you for episode two of The Secrets We Kept by Laura Prescott. Oh, man, I can't wait to dive into this one. But This is going to be a good one. But first, what else have you have been you reading? Been? Yeah. yeah. Let's see. There are so many books out there in the world. There is. Uh, completely different planes, the ones I've just read. I finished The Other Bowling Girl. Mm-hmm. More historical fiction that I love. That, that was, was just... those for your book club, right? Yeah, my book club. Mm-hmm. Hi, book club. Hi, book club. I love you guys. And then the other one I just finished was Normal People. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I'm glad they're both over. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> but your girl, Tay Tay, Taylor Swift. We're uh, friends. They're friends. They, they love the same we, things. We grew up together. Basically. Mm-hmm. Lyrical genius. Yeah, so sometimes I get rec- book recommendations from her. And this one, one does. was not on point. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. No. I like to be sad. And this one was just like, it was uncomfortable more than sad. Not a sadness I like or can get behind. Yeah. And there was no redeeming point for the characters or anything that I felt. And it just wasn't my favorite. Interesting. What have you been reading? I uh, just finished The Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. It was all right. Uh, I was hoping that I got to read it in his voice, but I realized that he talks too slow. I can't do a Matthew McConaughey impression. That was. Does he have an audiobook? Yeah, he does. He Did does he do read it. it. Yeah, oh. you um, can but... speed it up, can't you? Well, I didn't listen to it. Like oh. I was just reading it. Hmm. Um, that was for my book club at work. Hi, hi, book club. Oh, <laughs> we love our book clubs. Yes, we we like books a little bit. If you couldn't tell, not so. at all. Um, so I just read that. I wasn't insanely impressed with it. But I still found it interesting. That dude's pretty humble. And he lived in an Airstream trailer RV thing. You know, those big silver things. He lived in one of those for like five years with his dog. And just what went kind around. Of dog? I don't think he ever said, but her name was Mrs. Hud. <laughs> Miss Hud. 
something like that. Was she married or? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. This dog's life. What a bitch. <laughs> what a bitch. Oh, God. Uh, but he traveled the country and lived in this thing, and I thought that was pretty hmm. humbling. And this is what's after he hit it big with a lot of his rom-coms in the early 2000s, so late 90s, early 2000s era, with the J-Lo and the... Kate. Hudson. Yes. Mm-hmm. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Uh, Our such love a good... burn! You <laughs> let it die! Are you going to let us die? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that every girl in their early to mid-30s yes. can relate right now to that movie. That was such a good one. It was. And speaking of good ones, yeah. let's get started let's. on this week's book, The so, Lo- the Secrets We Kept. I almost said The Lost Chill. No, not The Lost Chill. <laughs> that is us. That is the us. Secrets We Kept by Laura Prescott. As usual, this episode will contain spoiler alerts. But without further ado, let's jump on into this book. This is historical fiction set during the Cold War with multiple stories intertwined. It starts in the East, in Russia, where we meet Olga who's the mistress of Boris Pasternak, the author of Dr. Zivago, which is an extremely controversial book that he is writing at the time. So Olga's arrested and questioned about what Pasternak has been working on, and she's eventually sentenced to five years in a labor camp called the Gulag, but she only serves three because Stalin died and her sentence is reduced. Then in stark contrast, at first we head over to the West, and we meet the typist at the agency. This paints a very vivid atmosphere of a world and office space where you have a group of women of all sorts of different backgrounds and skills who are underestimated by the men in the office who act like they're just typists, when really they're retaining all sorts of secrets and information. Eventually we're introduced to Irina. Irina is a Russian who... A Russian-American, as she is always quick to remind her colleagues. That's right. A Russian-American who finds her way into the typing pool seemingly underqualified and not quite fitting in with the rest of the group. It's quickly made apparent that she hasn't been recruited for her typing skills and she is soon being trained on discretion and is giving missions to act as a courier. Back in the East, Olga is out of the gulag and back with Borya, her nickname for her beloved. She is still his mistress and now spends her days working hard to get his finished novel, Dr. Zvago, published in The Motherland. This book that is stuck in the manuscript phase still gains global notoriety and is being pursued by a newly founded Italian publishing house. And this is still being intertwined with the West where we've now met Sally, brought to the agency as a part-time receptionist, but she's quickly revealed to be there as a beautiful spy with tons of secrets, history, and experience. She came out of retirement and is training Irina to prepare for more intensive missions of actually being a new person rather than delivering documents. Just as Dr. Zavago is getting published by Italy, we learn the intent of the agency, which is to slip banned literature past the Iron Curtain. Irina completes the mission at the World's Fair, while Borya is once again feeling the heat from the Russian government about whether or not to accept the Nobel Prize. So there's a lot going on in this book. It's like two stories in one, and any other shorter synopsis I've seen out of this novel just does not do it justice. I think these stories alone would not have been as strong on their own if there was just an east story and then just a west story but together they come and intertwine very nicely they do it did make me a little intrigued over dr zavago like why was it so controversial why did everyone want it why is he writing it and getting on the slack all i know 
about this at this time. It's from a 98 Degrees song entitled The Hardest Thing. And there's this line where Nick serenades us and goes, Like Dr. Zhivago, all my love I'll be sending, and you will never know, because there can be no happy ending. <laughs> all my 90 girls know what's up. That's, that's how we know this story, so obviously it can't be a happy one. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I think I didn't know that you were going to bust out into song for real. <laughs> Yeah. I thought we were just going to discuss the lyric and oh. not transport back in time to 1998. That was such a good song, though. <laughs> like, it spoke to me as a little 10-year-old girl, no, no romantical history whatsoever. And I'm like, who Dr. Zivago oh, is. Like, oh, that sounds like a terrible love story. That does sound like the hardest thing, Nick. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Zivago. Because you were also intrigued. I was. Up. I was. So what did you do? The entire book of The Secrets We Kept, it was touted as a love story. That it was a love story between the characters and Dr. Zivago. So I was like, what the fuck is Russia's problem? Like, why don't they like a love story? So I did a little bit of looking into it. So I tried to watch the Dr. Zivago movie. I How'd that go? It. Hmm. it didn't go well. There was lots of wine involved and there were children running around. So I didn't really give it my full attention, but I still didn't enjoy it. I got about an hour and a half into the three hour movie. I found it a little bit confusing. So fun fact, fun fact, fun fact, Dr. Zivago, the movie was released everywhere besides Russia in 1965. However, Russia still hating the story, uh, did not allow the movie in the country until 1994. So it took almost 30 years for them to even allow the the movie to be into the country. Wow. So I looked a little bit. There was a great PBS NewsHour story that I found. We can throw up the YouTube link if anybody's interested in it who doesn't know anything about Dr. Zivago, kind of like us. Um, So the book was about the Russian revolutions and the struggles of the character Dr. Zivago. And since Russia refused to publish the work, the Western countries saw this as an opportunity for propaganda for their cause. Because there'd never been a book like this written about how things were going in Russia. So all the details in the book were accurate and uh, it took Pasternak 10 years to write this book, which we kind of see the progression through uh, the secrets we kept that he keeps writing this and as they both get older. So this was the first of its kind and that's what scared the Russian government because this was not a book that celebrated the Russian revolution. And the CIA's goal was to get it in the hands of Soviets. And so it circulated quickly at the World's Fair. However, the CIA was not very sneaky or stealthy about this whatsoever. And the first printing didn't go very smoothly, which led to rumors about the CIA being involved. So it had to be printed twice. Um, Records have since now been declassified about the CIA's involvement. So we can accurately say that they were behind this. Uh, This was Pasternak's only novel. And prior to this, he was a poet and a translator. I knew shit about Pasternak or Dr. Zivago before looking into this. But you didn't Um, have to to read the book. No, you did not. That's kind of why we're giving you a little bit of history so that you can understand it. A little bit. A little bit. A lot of it. (laughs) I'll end you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So everything in the book is accurate with Olga, and he really refused to leave his wife for Olga 
after all of those years. She was in the gulag because of him. The main takeaway why Dr. Zivago was so controversial at the time was its rejection of social realism in the USSR. While we're on the subject of the history in the of this book, um, just a couple things about Laura Prescott, too, author of The Secrets That We Kept. She had a passion because her parents were very into Dr. Zivago, and that's why she wrote this book. And she's also in possession of Feltrinelli's first edition mini print of the book, which includes a map to Expo 58. And so I found in this book, bringing the focus back to our actual book club book, <laughs> is the way the Russian government just tried so hard to control everything for it, but how Russia wanted to give its writers and artists like the nice houses yeah. and everything. And it was made very clear, oh, we think that souls and thoughts and everything is so much more important than producing tanks. But Borya says, and that's how they kept an eye on us. Right. In the same sense. Like it's yeah. not hidden. It doesn't take time no. to figure out. They know from the get-go they're watching us right. and that's why we're here and it's so backhanded it's so backhanded like we're gonna say that we agree in the art and what these writers are accomplishing with their works but really we just want to keep a tabs on them just to make sure that they're not saying anything that they shouldn't be saying and it's just it's just absurd yes it is and i think gosh it's kind of crazy to think about one thing that really struck with me is how the one who's doing all this shit that pisses russia the fuck off is borya mm-hmm. but does borya get punished no they take because his they're mistress. trying to get yeah. to him through olga yeah and that part was like not even through his wife through his mistress well, yeah because he doesn't care about her no and so that was something, and one of the big things that fucking made me disrespect Borya real bad was how he was not even there when she returned from the gulag. And and he was going to break up with her. Yeah. And one of the things that hit me really hard was how Olga said when she got off the train after those three years in a labor camp and she saw that he wasn't there, she almost felt like turning around and going back. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of the thing with how you think that living in those kind of conditions would be the worst thing possible. But still, the worst thing is always matters of the heart. Those conditions that were described in the labor camp were just fucking atrocious. You know, dealing with their own excrement and completely withered away to skin and bone. Talked numerous times about her physical appearance had changed while she was there and talked a lot about her hair. The other thing though is she mentioned that she learned what human bodies needed to survive and how little it was but she also at the same time realized how much the mind needs to survive Mm -hmm. and that just that was crazy to me yeah because it's true well and the fact that they weren't letting them sleep that they were being interrogated at night when they were supposed to be sleeping dude people need sleep you get physically ill or you can't even think like i can't right now because Um, i didn't sleep yesterday um so my other friend kara she's not really my friend but i wish she was (laughs) she runs taking care of babies which helps you teach your infants how to sleep well but one of the things she mentions is there is a reason that sleep deprivation is a form of torture and so she doesn't want new parents to experience that God bless her. But here, they take full advantage of it. This is a way of torturing them is exactly. not letting them sleep. God, I was thinking about that while I was reading the book because I struggle with sleeping because of my work schedule a lot. And I'm a mess even when I... <laughs> today? What? Today? <laughs> what? But I'm a mess when I get four hours of sleep. I can't imagine being tortured all night, having to go do laborious work during the day, getting no rations because your work was subpar and then basically being told, eh, 
care. Go to sleep for five minutes and we'll be in to interrogate you later tonight. Yeah, and then imagine the whole time you're there, you're just using your boo thing to hold you back to reality right. and thinking about getting back to him. And then he's not even fucking there. Nope. <sighs> I feel like you're still upset about this. I am because that's fucked be. up. It is he fucked should up. feel guilty as fuck, but he was a little turd who couldn't even face her or his shame when he knows it was his fault. She didn't even know if he was alive or not for the first, I think, year or so that right. she was there. And then all of a sudden she has this renewed sense of life while she's in the camp because she finds out that he is alive and now she has something to live for. Right. So I can't imagine. I truly can't. And I know that this shit happened yeah. constantly. Yeah. During World War Two, during the Cold War, during so many different times. It's probably still fair. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing while we're still talking about the East storyline with Boris towards the end of his life, one thing he mentioned was how important his book writing had been to him and it was finally after all that time that he's like i was continuing to write instead of protecting my loved ones like why did i do that too little too late bro that's all i have to say yeah and so that's what i realized with him yeah so too little too late yeah with that too little too late with olga and her kids she was a terrible fucking mother i will say it she made me really sad there was one part in the book where Olga decided not to go back to Moscow with her kids. And that hit me in the feels. The one, actually the singular feel that I have left. <laughs> it hit me there. Because Boris was not making her a priority. And she went to prison essentially for him. He didn't go anywhere. He still got to be with his wife and his kids. She lost his baby while she was in the labor camp. Had to go through that trauma by herself. Has to go through coming home and him not really wanting to be with her. Having to be talked into that. But yet she's willing to stay back in the countryside with him in the little house by herself. Not even living with him. And send her children by themselves to Moscow to live with her mom. And I could see that. I will say why that didn't bother me so much is because a lot of things I've been reading or seeing lately have kind of made me grateful but planted into my head that us raising our own children is very much a current times and a cultural thing. I can and see that. And a very modern one. Because, um, you know, I just mentioned earlier that I have just read The Other Bowling Girl and they took their kids months old away from them. It would be this whole thing when your parents would come to visit you, like this whole awkward thing. Parents were not at all involved in raising their children and that was in like what the 1500s mm -hmm. but then you see it even in recent shows like mrs Maisel, which is you know fictional but i think it's pretty accurate to how the times were and that was well they had a lot of money that too. was 50s or 60s 50s yeah it was never a thing for her to leave the kids with the parents and the parents housemate really because even her parents didn't do too much with them to yeah. leave and go out and do all these things and not really raise her children just be there to give them kisses and buy them things and for the photo op moment yeah and i think that even it's a current thing and now it's just very cultural because i think even the upper class would still choose to do that but our culture has become so loud that they get flack like oh you just have your nannies raise their kid mm -hmm. and so that's kind of why it didn't bother me as much as i think it's awesome and I'm grateful we live in that time, but I think it's a very cultural, modern thing to raise your own children and have everyone do that. Yeah, I guess I didn't look at the big picture like that. I looked at it as from the perspective of, those are my babies. Yeah. Like, 
I'm not going anywhere without them for this asshole who doesn't even want to leave his wife to be with me. That's true. And now you're second class, essentially. Probably this didn't break my heart as much as Mary Boland's kids being stripped away from her that she couldn't see. So my heart was already broken and stomped and crushed from... It just hadn't been rebuilt yet. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, well... See, I'm surprised because I thought that the children and her mothering, her parenting style would have hit you more than it hit me. What are you trying to say? That you're more in your feels. They're already br- they just haven't healed from the other bowling girl. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And you get attached to children. Like I we do. talked about in the Midnight Library on episode one. If you haven't listened, go take a listen right now. It is interesting. And that's because I read the other bowling girl between the Midnight Library. Weird. Okay. And this. And so it's kind of just coming to a realization. And I'm very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. But people haven't known their kids even. Like it just blows my mind. This amazing age and era that we live in. That there are people like taking care of babies. There's places that tell you how to help deal with their temper tantrums and understand their Mm -hmm. development with eating. I don't think ever in history has child rearing been what it is now. And we're very blessed. That's for sure. We'll definitely come back to the East, but let's get talking about the the agency now. The agency. So it starts on the West and I immediately felt Mad Men vibes, but that sort of dwindled pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's kind of why I wanted to read that is because that was on the like front cover blurb, like, oh, Mad Men style. Yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't get that vibe. Like maybe the first five minutes when they're talking about mansplaining, which apparently has been around for quite some time. It has. I got vibes from this book of where the author was trying to implant a lot of modern modern ideas into historical fiction that I don't think were there. Stuff like, like I get they weren't religious, but saying like, oh, the universe brought us together. I don't think people talked about the universe. No, they didn't think that way. Yeah, but that was in there. And so I think she did stuff like that. I see what you mean. So reading this and being the agency, I think it started strong and it started with the side character typist point of view, but I yeah. think they had a really inflated point of their self. I think so too. Um, I think they felt they were much more powerful than they actually were and it kind of went to their head. Yeah, there, there wasn't really anything that they could do. And then when Irina came and she was hired for other reasons, I feel like there should have been more jealousy in that. Yeah. But there wasn't even that. But that's because I think they had ideas, but they didn't really know. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think their inflation of themselves came from. They mentioned that there's this power that comes with keeping secrets that's like super intoxicating like a drug. And I think they were kind of played. By the agency? Yeah. I don't think they knew as much as they thought they did. Yeah. They talked about how the people that they were typing for would just eventually forget that they were there. Yeah. So there's that. I think that they thought that they were bigger because they would forget that they were there and they would just share all these secrets. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you forget that somebody's there? I mean, I found that odd. I found it odd. I will say I did cling to and was intrigued by this whole power of keeping secrets. It kind of reminded me of The Hunger Games when I'm pretty sure it was Finnick. When he won and the higher districts like one and two, they would kind of make the winners do terrible things. And so he kind of had to whore himself out. And instead of monetary payment, he wanted to be paid in secrets. Oh, yeah. Because he realized that that was where the power was. Right. And so that's kind of vibes I got. I think there is some truth to that of secrets having power. Absolutely. Yeah, so I I did enjoy that, but I had wanted more. Sometimes their secrets... I definitely wanted more from there. Their secrets seemed like gossip. Yeah. And they didn't know what was actually going on at the agency. And on the other hand that I didn't like in the book, For the Spies, uh-huh. 
you were expecting more of a thrill. You never really yeah. got that tension. No. That... No, I never was really on the edge of my seat with one of their missions. Yeah. Maybe a little bit with the World's Fair, just because there was a chance that they were going to be caught. It never but... even got close, though. It didn't. It didn't. So I was really it, disappointed. It I think it could have even been interesting to show, like, as they were vetting them to see if they could give them the books, that there was even none of that. Yeah. There's no tension They, with they just wanted the books in the hands of as many people as they possibly could. Right. So I think that that sort of took a lot of the tension away. Granted, this is not a thriller. This is a historical fiction piece. Yeah. So you kind of get what you pay for in that regard, where this is not going to be written to make you have your heart flutter and gasp at things yeah. and problems that they run into that's true but at the same time you want conflict you do and i mean i think you hope that there's still a little of that with there being spies but whatever yeah, whatever <laughs> one thing that struck me as funny at one point irena she says she was 20 the first time she saw an optometrist and by then she was so used to life dulled edges that when she finally saw the world as what it was everything was far too vivid and she preferred things as one fuzzy hole not broken down by their clear parts I kind of felt like that about this whole book. I don't know if I loved the super clear whole all that you can see, but I loved parts of it. I think that's a good way to put it. My favorite thing, honestly, uh huh, was some of the supporting characters. Like who? And maybe it's just how some of the supporting characters were written about. I loved Marcos. I know you do. Yeah, he was good. Uh, so when she just introduces Marcos, it's just a paragraph. And she's talking about how he's like a little Greek man who came to America for the chance to fatten up pretty American girls with the pastries he makes. And, <laughs> you know, saying how he's a shameless flirt, even as his wife with a bosom so large, she had to take a step back from opening the register was watching. And like just how funny it was and how he'd give him a cloudy eyed wink with his cataracts. And yeah. You could just, like, see him. Yeah. I imagine that he had a stained apron on. Yes. Stained so white apron. So much personality. Yeah. And so I love that. And the other one, the other supporting character that I really loved was Irina's mom. Yes. Um, for so many reasons. she You could just tell she had so much strength. And so I guess the backstory with that is that Irina's mom and dad were leaving Russia because Stalin was occupying and they had to get out and they looked like they would have their chance. But once again, Russia just intends to hurt the heart. And so they take her dad away. Like while they're at the dock. Yeah, as they're getting on the boat. Yeah, and she was... Because they had fake papers. And But they let her continue, and she was pregnant. Again, taking away what you love most yeah. is the ultimate, the ultimate psychological warfare. God, it got me in the feels. And so she's basically just living now in America and separate from her love because she wants to give her daughter the best chance. I can only imagine how much strength that alone took. Because she did it by herself. Yeah. Never mom. remarried. Right. Never. Never had any other children. And she just poured so much into being everything. And one of the things that really stuck with me was eventually she learned that her husband had died. Never got to see him again. And basically, Irina says that she grieved for a week. And then she got out of bed and kind of quit her dead-end job and poured everything into her dream job of being a seamstress and doing all these things and working so hard. Which is amazing. Yeah. 
I loved that part because sometimes it takes a really bad thing to give you the kick in the pants that you need to change something in your life that you're unhappy about. You realize that life is too short and and that's what it was for her. Yeah, it could have completely gone the other way and been understandable. Yeah. If she had just a good for nothing mom who was just drunk all the time and she had to give all her wages to her mom because her mom couldn't support herself, let alone her, that that would have been understandable. It would have been, but I'm glad it was not. I'm glad it was not too. Because I loved her. She was she was, she was fantastic in this book. She was supportive without being overly mushy. And, you know, I thought she was kind of funny. But while we're on the subject of kind of side characters, I also loved Teddy, Irina's fiance, who she's not really in love with. But Teddy, the whole reason that I fell in love with him is because he loved her mom so much. Aww. And it was just so cute how much he wanted to take care of both of them. When her mom got sick, he immediately helped get doctor's appointments with the best doctors in town and get her taken care of as much as he could and freaking Irina just I love that and that's that's the part of this book that I really loved is just how great it was at the stories between the lines mm-hmm And I can just even so clearly see Irina's relationship with her mom. How, you know, we've mentioned her mom was a seamstress. My favorite was when she was talking about how she would sometimes put on the dresses that she was making for all the rich women Mm -hmm. and just twirl around in it. And you can just feel there so much and like see Irina being this little girl just looking in wonder at her mom, looking so beautiful and happy. And I just really love that. And I think that there was, even though it wasn't directly said, there was a lot of pride behind that. Yeah. Because she saw what her mom did and how she got to where she was. And I think that that instilled a lot into her, into what kind of woman that Irina became, definitely, by seeing that and seeing the pride. Irina's mom shaped a lot of who Irina became. Uh Uh-huh. But the other person, I think, who had the great impact was Sally. The flaming redheaded lesbian. And there's my shout out to James, not the lesbian part. (laughs) The redhead? Yes. (laughs) James, I appreciate your appreciation of redheads. Quickly, like not even a like super in-depth in thing, mm-hmm. but I loved Sally teaching Irina all the ways to be in all the rules. You think blondes get the most attention, but it's the redhead. Shout out, James, that I have written my notes. <laughs> but then how to eat steak, medium rare. How to drink. Tom Collins, oh, extra yeah. lemon, extra ice, won't stain if you spill and won't get you too drunk. Like I was like, yes, <laughs> Sally, tell us all how all Tell how us to all live. the secrets. <laughs> And I think, you know, she even had like how to pinpoint the richest man in the room Mm -hmm. and how to do all these things. And she just had so much awareness that I loved. I really liked Sally. And I was really hurt when she got hurt by the the men in the agency who basically told her that she was washed up. And well, it's because men don't ever get washed up, do they? No, they don't. They get hotter. Just look at George Clooney. Fuck that. A huge thing that I noticed with Sally that I loved that I can relate to so many other works of literature or art and stories was when she was talking about her power. Mm. And basically she was saying there wasn't a name for it back then, but it was that first party she became a swallow, a woman who uses her God-given talents to gain information. The key to it was these men thought they were using me, but it was always the reverse. My power was making them think it wasn't. So... 
all of the girls in the pool thought that they were powerful, but Sally was really the powerful woman. Yes. And I just love the the power of femininity Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) Hashtag girl power. But um, the one thing that I see the parallels in literature and stories all the time is that there are always the ones like Sally. Sally was a much watered down version of my other examples being Anne Bolin, Cersei Lannister. Those women know they're hot. They know how to like work men's desires to get their information, get their manipulations, get their way basically. Some a little bit too much. Way too much. They're not lovable characters or kind of assholes. But Sally is. Sally has a... Yeah. A limit. She's, because she's not the full, she's not trying to become a ruler over everything. She doesn't want that much. She doesn't have that big of aspirations, but she has the power that comes with the awareness of Mm -hmm. how you are. Mm -hmm. The other power that there's, there always seems to just be the opposite. The ones who are aware of it and the ones who aren't, who in this case is Irina. The, The Marjorie Tyrells who's the opposite of Cersei, Mm -hmm. and then um, the Jane Seymours, who instead of playing with their flashiness and playing with, you know, the power of seduction more or less, they use their sweet innocence and feigned naive sides to convince that others that they don't have the upper hand. But I truly think that that was not a play on her part. Irina? Yeah, where most people who are like that, who play to their uh, naiveness, she really was, I feel like. At first, sure. Until know, she's she, interesting, though. she did things that were completely out of character for her, I feel like. Once she started gaining that confidence that Sally was teaching her. I was left wanting more with that. because With it, Irina or Sally? With Irina. I think eventually, I like, I think maybe we missed that part of her where she could even use her feigned innocence. Because it was kind of like uh, Sally trained her. They got to that point, but then they lost everything. They lost each other, lost her job, and then she just gave up. And so she went to being a nun. And so I don't even know because she got too depressed that we could have known or seen what she could have done. Well, the nun was a job. Yeah. And the faint innocence would have been jobs. Mm. I see what you're saying. So I just definitely it's not as severe ends of the spectrum in this book. Sure. But I think it's still there with just the different types of feminine power. Well, I feel like the naive Irina goes out the window when she basically goes and seduces Sally. And that's what I feel like was completely out of character for her. I don't feel like she would have done that. I could have seen Sally seducing her. Sure. That relationship there reminds me of a great book that I read recently called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, where Evelyn Hugo is a very rich and famous actress in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, I believe, in gorgeous absolutely stunning and she has seven husbands as the title says but she's has all these husbands because she can't find happiness until she finds her lesbian lover evelyn marries a gay man who he marry or he's in a relationship with another man who happens to be married to evelyn's lover so that it doesn't look like they are (laughs) (laughs) in a relationship with the same sex that they are always hanging out as couples all the time because there really are two couples there it's just the two same sex couples instead of the hetero couples but that's a fantastic book that I definitely got a lot of vibes from because as the LGBTQ community becomes more popular in modern day literature and historical fiction you know these things were going on where they had to hide their relationship where Sally got fired right because she was into the funny business you know that's what they would call it which is also weird what do you think 
at that party. The New Year's Eve party? Yeah, mm-hmm. where she more or less gets attacked by that a-hole. That was one question I was left with. Is how that. did he know? How did he know? And did he actually rape her? Or did he just like... I don't know. Was he just aggressive with her? And This book left me wanting more a lot. Yes. And I think because it just iced over some things. Like there was this one part in the very beginning, switching back to Russia. Yeah. When Olga was with Boris uh-huh. and she mentions when they were falling in love and how open she was with him. And it says, I told him everything of my first husband whom I found hanging in our apartment of my second who died in my arms. And it's never talked about And I'm again. like, Olga, let me know you. What's in your right. life? Because honestly, like, I feel bad for you. I hurt for you. But you have so much, that, like, so many depths that we don't know. Right. And I was also questioning, I'm assuming that her kids are one of those husbands but we don't know. that died, but we don't right. know. It could have been Boris's children as well. Yeah. I don't think it was because they never referred to him as dad or father or right. anything like that. But I mean, she was also pregnant with Boris's child at the beginning when she was in the labor camp. Right. And she lost that child. And then we hear nothing of it again. Did he know about that child? Right. Because she was barely pregnant when she was taken away by the KGB. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he did, honestly. But, but it's never talked so about. There's so much that's iced over. And I think that's what kind of got me was this. I was just left wanting more. But there are so many, like, there's so much great imagery and so many beautiful stories inside. There is. Uh, A story within a story within a story. And that's what kind of makes up for that. And it's fine to not answer every question, but I just wanted a little bit more information on some of those side pieces that we never really got. Absolutely. Another thing that I was wanting more with was I was wanting the East and the West to come together more and intertwine more. Yes, it intertwined with Irina handing out the Dr. Zivago books at the world's fair but i was truly hoping that there would be more of a a story together and there really wasn't how could there have been though? i don't know how there could have been as i mean and i was also thinking those things before i knew anything about dr zavago and boris pasternak because mm-hmm. i did all of that digging around into that after i finished reading the book so i don't know how that could have really even happened other than some sort of fictional plot that their lives intertwine i struggle with the the multiple perspectives anyway when reading because i never know who i'm reading sometimes and especially in this book yeah where you're reading from the east and the west it tells you that but you don't know sometimes a couple pages in if you're reading is it from a random Boris, typist who's a typist you don't know there was several chapters that i wrote down who the fuck's perspective is this right now or even just when you're jumping back and forth from the east to the west you're like is this boris is this olga who is this right, right. now and sometimes it took about two or three pages to figure that out and i was reading the reviews on goodreads and a lot of people said that 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 was one of their biggest hangups about the book is that sometimes you would really have to read into the chapter to figure out who you were looking at in my opinion if you're going to do the multiple perspectives name the chapter their name their name yeah it kind of named their chapter their job but their jobs would change and so it did that little cross out thing which also made it hard Right, because you're like, oh, well, we're looking at Olga, and now we're looking. I actually noted that down. That <laughs> goes back to the swallow, the courier, the the mother. Yeah, uh, that one was so far down on Olga's list, and I was like, oh, is this a a dig at what a bad mom she is and doesn't put her kids first? But you're right. That's that's a 
2020 thing, not a well, 2021 <laughs> now, but not a 1950 thing. Yeah. Which story did you prefer, the East or the West? Mm, I can't even pick. Like, I've... <laughs> I don't know. I don't like any of the holes. I liked the in-between. There's just so many pictures that are painted so beautifully in my head that I didn't necessarily like love Sally's storyline because it was pretty painful. But oh God, after she went and got that book from Italy and it was talking about her in her freezing cold apartment with the with the windows open, eating leftover filet mignon and drinking Dom Perignon and like just this whole lonely glamour thing. Oh God. That's what this book was full of, and I love that yeah. shit. I, you know, I went back and forth because at first I loved the West, and then I loved, I ended up loving the East more. What was the point that it changed? The point that it changed was when Olga started to change, where she started to see, maybe I should have paid a little bit more attention to my kids and not let Boris run my life, where she started to be cold towards him. Yeah. That's when I started to get more respect for her, even though it was still too late. But I still, I enjoyed that she finally came around to see what she should have seen all along. Absolutely. Except she still camped outside of his motherfucking house while he was dying. And his bitch of a wife wouldn't let her in. Can you blame her? Sorry, tangent. Would you let his mistress in? No. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be in that situation anyway. So there's that. And that, that's sometimes what's hard to... Put yourself in because I don't want to be in that situation, period. So I don't really know how I would react. But I still was enraged by it because his wife knew about her and allowed it to happen for... I mean, we have, and with lots of judgment, known relationships like that of someone who stays with a guy for forever and kind of kind of always thinks he'll leave his wife and never does. None of us are shocked. Yeah. And she'll never come around. She won't let her in the house when he's dying. It's the same. Yeah. But I was on her side at that point, so that's why I was kind of enraged by that. I kind of wanted to know Olga before Boris because she's been through a lot. She has. But I kind of just, like, feel like she was just a ghost of herself most of the time, you know, from after what she went in the gulag to him not being there mm-hmm. to picking her kids over him, still being hopeful to yeah. she's the one. Oh, I didn't like Boris very much because... I didn't either. I mean, he couldn't face he was himself. An he was Yeah, he was a dick. But then she's the one trying to get his book published. Right. And then the absolute full circle is that she winds up back in the fucking labor camp with her daughter. Oh, God, that killed me. I know. It's like we went through all of this, all of this growth, all of these things that happened. And here we are back at the beginning, but you're with your daughter this time. It was a very full circle moment that was infuriating at the same time. It was. And so I don't know if anyone's still with us, but I got a few more points I want to make. So one of the things that really struck me was they had their satellites, but we had their books. Back then, we believed books could be weapons, that literature could change the course of history. And I think, man, that's just a belief that's kind of always been and has never gone away. Um, I just read another great book called The Giver of the Stars, which was about a traveling library. And there's all these people who are kind of against it at first because they believe that any book that's not the Bible is smut and they don't need those ideas in their head. And everyone puts powers to words and it's still happening. And not even with hot key issues like censorship of social media, but Eminem singing about it in his song Sing for the Moment, touching on it of, you know, if my music is literal, then I'm a criminal. 
Mm-hmm. You know, how could the, how could I be fit to raise a daughter? Yeah. And even saying, um, music can alter moods and talk to you. Well, can it load a gun up and cock it too? Next time you assault the dude, tell the judge it was my fault. But Kim and M ladies and gentlemen, I could rap if you want to go back to the 90 degrees thing. I'm (laughs) I'm shocked that you didn't. (laughs) I mean, I was trying to, I don't know. I'm a little bit upset that you didn't. I think you should go back and do that. I think it would be great. If it's all political, my music is literal, then I'm a criminal. How the fuck could I raise a little girl? And, you know, in the next verse, they say music can alter moods and talk to you. Well, can it load up a gun for you and cock it too? Well, if it can, the next time you assault the dude, just tell the judge it was my fault and I'll get sued. Kim and M, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and sorry, I didn't have my beats. It's okay. That was you did. That was fantastic. Rap. Thank you. You got a whole iPod worth of music today, 98 Degrees, and now Eminem. I am just have so many times. I'm impressed with all of your music um, knowledge. But I think it's always a thing and always will be a thing of how, how much power do books and words and stories have. And that's pretty pretty deep. I think yeah. they do. Yeah, they do. And so to That's con- why we love them. We do love them. Oh. So another one of my favorite quotes from this book was from another typist who said, Dr. Zivago is a both a war story and a love story. But years later, it was the love story we remembered most. Which is what was portrayed in this book. Yes. And, you know, in the in the movie, too, in Dr. Zivago, it was so focused on, <laughs> from what I saw, it was so focused on the love story and not as much on the Russian Revolution. So that's true. It's what we remember. It is. We being people who read that book, not us. And for all you people who have stuck with us these many, many, many episodes, if you remember back from that very first one. (laughs) Last week? very first, two weeks ago. The intro. Oh, the intro episode. We talked about that and like why I love historical fiction because nothing is ever bad enough that love ever goes away. And in hindsight too, even with all the bad stuff, you still remember the love. You still remember the love. So at TLC, that's the lost chill. If you haven't figured that out yet. We have a rating system here for every book that we read, one to five stars, five being an all-time favorite book, four is great, I'd definitely read it again, three, this is a solid book, it was it was very good, two, not very good, could have lived without reading it, and one, why the fuck did I waste my time on this rubbish? Kimmy, what you got? I give it a three. Three? Yeah. Yeah, I give it a three too. It was, it was decent. <laughs> a three as well, three also, however <laughs> you'd like to word that. It was solid. Yeah. It Mm. didn't wow me like I was hoping it would. I was hoping that there would be a little bit more of a thrill factor, but it's historical fiction and not a thriller, and I have to keep reminding myself of that. Yeah, I think for me, what made it not be a two was those side stories in between. She's a really good writer. I think overall, it didn't, I didn't like it. I would like to read another book by Laura Prescott and just see because she is, she does. And the picture was very much painted of the Russian countryside and of the apartment where Irina and her mom were living. I felt like I was there. Yeah. The story, the story That's just what fell saved flat it for me. Yeah, yeah, the story just fell flat in the long run. Um, so I would love to read something else by Laura Prescott to see what else she has to offer. I'm not familiar with any other titles, so we'll have to look at that. Yeah, we definitely. But will. three for me, three for you. Yep, solid pretty three solid. For us, so 
Let us know what you think, if you've read it, if you want to read it, any of your favorite parts. We hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on the secrets we kept. We want to hear yours. Please, please reach out to us on social media at The Lost Chill on Instagram and Facebook and at The Lost Chill One on Twitter. While you're there telling us your thoughts on the secret we kept, give us a follow so you can always know what the next books are. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes drop every Tuesday morning, just in time to have with your morning coffee. Next week, we will be discussing The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. And after that, we're going to talk about The Queen's Gambit by Walter Tevis. We have our full schedule for the month of February listed on Facebook and Instagram. We are so thankful that you stuck with us for probably this long episode. We're not sure how long it is right now, but it was long (laughs) for us. We had a lot to say. Um, And everybody who's tuned into our show over the past couple of weeks, we are still babies at this. So please, please bear with us on getting our feet on this. But we're having so much fun and we can't wait to hear your thoughts on this book. So we will see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.